pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn to Mark, the 10th chapter, Mark chapter 10. I want to talk about blind Bartimaeus. Well, he's not blind anymore, but I want to talk about Bartimaeus when he was blind. Mark 10, 46, it says, And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the wayside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried the more a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, Bartimaeus, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. So I'm telling you, in the days that we're living in right now, we better learn how to cry out to the Lord. Amen. Amen. Blind Bartimaeus not only knew how to cry out for the Lord to get what he wanted, but he also knew not to let anybody shut him up. The crowd tried to shut him up. They told him, hold your peace. But actually they were saying, shut your mouth. And Bartimaeus said, no, you shut your mouth. And he cried louder. And you know, that's one of the problems with the church today is we cry. But when we get a little pushback from the crowd, we shut up. It's good we started out crying, but we didn't keep on crying until we got what we needed from the Lord. And that's the problem. You get a little pushback, you shut up. But I got to tell you, anytime you seek God, anytime you're trying to appropriate the, the promises of God, anytime you're trying to obey the word and walk in the light that you have, the crowd is going to try to shut you up. The, the crowd is going to push you back. Amen? So you might as well get used to it. But what happens when we cry out? Well, we cried out a year ago and they put a mask on our face and shut us up. Amen. And then uh, they called us liars. They censored us. They removed us from the different social media sites and even tried to take away our God-given rights. Amen. Amen. And, uh, you know, it shames me to say this, but the church allowed them to do it. And we're still doing it today. And we need to snap out of that. We need to get to the place where we start standing up and pushing back. Amen? Yeah. Blind Bartimaeus had more sense than the church did. 
the pushback from the crowd didn't shut him up. It motivated him even more to cry even louder. And he wasn't going to quit until he got what he needed from the Lord. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You know, the prophet Isaiah, he says, cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. In other words, when something is not right, tell them it's not right. Stand up for righteousness. Speak up for righteousness. Cry out for righteousness. And anytime you're trying to tell the truth and refute the lies that are being told by the crowd, uh, and they tell you to shut up, you need to get even more bolder and cry even louder until something changes. This is not the time to shut up. It's not the time to uh, allow them to push us back. It's time for us to stand up, push forward, and cry louder. That's how it's going to be in these end times. You know, uh, the devil has got a short time and he knows it. So he's pulling try everything he possibly can. And if he finds a weak area in your life, he's going to muscle himself in. Amen. Amen. And he's going to try to push you back. He's going to try to silence you. He don't want you crying out to the Lord. He don't want you to have your needs met. He don't want you standing up. Paul admonished us in Hebrews 4.16. He says, come boldly, boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace in the time of need find grace and find help in the time of need. And that's exactly what blind Bartimaeus was doing. He went to the throne of grace. He went to the throne of grace himself and cried out boldly to obtain mercy and find grace in the time of his need. And that's exactly what he did. Amen. Nothing stopped him. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And when he cried, Jesus, son of David, he indicated that in spite of his physical blindness, he could plainly see that Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus was the master, and that Jesus represented a covenant that contained healing for blind Bartimaeus. And so he was not just crying for Jesus, he was reminding Jesus of the covenant that he had. When he said son of David, he recognized Jesus as the Messiah and he was appealing to the Messiah, the one that was representing the covenant at that time was the old covenant. But even in the old covenant, Bartimaeus knew that there was a provision for healing and he was crying out for mercy. He didn't cry out for healing, he cried out for mercy. And there's a big difference. There's two types of blindness. There's physical blindness, blindness like Bartimaeus had, and there's spiritual blindness. And spiritual blindness is the worst kind because it causes unbelief and it will keep you from receiving the truth. And that was the problem with the religious Jews. They couldn't see Jesus as the Messiah. They couldn't see Jesus as the master because they were spiritually blind and they, they failed to see the truth. So by Bartimaeus saying, son of David, he was putting Jesus in remembrance of the covenant because he knew there was healing in the covenant. And he was reminding him that he was full of grace and mercy, grace and mercy. That's why he came boldly before him. He didn't come timidly. He came boldly. He was shouting. And later he addressed Jesus more personally by calling him 
Rabboni, which means master. And you know what? Jesus didn't silence him and Jesus didn't refute what he was saying. So that tells me that Jesus accepted that title. If it wasn't true, Jesus would have corrected Bartimaeus. But Bartimaeus was telling Jesus in a very subtle and humble way that he was entitled to healing under the covenant that he represented. I know it's, that's putting a lot into that phrase, thou son of David, but that's exactly what it meant. It meant that Jesus was in the lineage of David, and David not only held a physical throne on the earth, but it, it pointed to Jesus' spiritual throne in heaven over all the earth. And he will someday sit on that throne in the physical aspect as well. But the crowd doesn't like it when you go around shouting Jesus and calling him the Messiah, so they'll try to shut you up. They don't want you telling people that Jesus is the Messiah. But he kept crying, and look what happened in verse 49. Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called him, saying, be of good comfort, rise, he's calling you. The same crowd that was telling them to shut up and hold his peace, now they're telling him to be of good cheer, be, be happy, be comforted, <clears throat> and rise up because he's calling you. So his crying out got God's attention. I don't know how many times he had to cry out, but he finally got God's attention. And you know, there's certain things that always get God, God's attention, and the cry for mercy is one of them. I'm telling you, there were times in my life where I was prayed out. I prayed every prayer, quoted every scripture that I could possibly think of, and nothing was happening. And so I finally said, Lord, I pray for mercy. Mercy, because uh, mercy I don't have to justify, I don't have to qualify for it. All I have to do is cry out for it, and God hears you. And God will answer a mercy prayer. Amen. So, you know, uh, in verse 49, he said, Jesus stood still. I'm telling you, he called for blind Bartimaeus. He stood still. He stopped in his tracks and called for blind Bartimaeus. Why? Because Bartimaeus was recognized him as the Messiah, as the master, and he cried for mercy. And a lot of times you'll find in the Bible, mercy is actually translated healing. But he wasn't crying for healing, although that's what he needed. That was what he wanted. He cried for mercy. He covered all the bases with that one prayer. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And that stopped Jesus in his track. And, and I'm telling you, when he called for blind Bartimaeus to come forth, just like nothing could have stopped Lazarus from coming out of that tomb, nothing was going to stop Bartimaeus from coming out of that blindness and finding his way to Jesus. He found his way to Jesus. Now he's standing right there in front of the throne of grace. And in verse 50, it says, And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. He stood up and came to Jesus. And this is what the Lord showed me. It's time for the church to rise up, to stand up, and come to Jesus. Amen. It's time for the church to have a come to Jesus meeting. Amen. And it's time for the church to stand out for Jesus and stand up for righteousness. In other words, if you see something wrong, you need to say it's wrong. You don't need to go along with it. You don't need to keep your peace. You don't need to try to make friends. You need to stand up for the Lord and point out the things that are wrong. 
Just like Isaiah said, he said, cry aloud and spare not. Point the iniquities out. Point the sin out. But we haven't been doing that as a church. We've been going along with the crowd. You're preaching, Pastor. Amen. Amen. But it's time that we stand up and cry out against evil. It's all around us. They're crying at us. But we're letting the, the, the crowd destroy our country because we won't cry out and we won't stand up. You know, when something's wrong, we need to say it's wrong. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to say something's wrong this morning. But I read in the news recently, just this week, about a transgender man that entered into trans, uh, that entered into the swimming competition in college. He's a college student. And I can say his name because it was in the paper. It's not, I'm not revealing anything secret or anything. But I'm going to stand up this morning and say out loud that transgender sports is wrong. It's wrong on all kinds of different levels. And I'm going to tell you why in a minute. But a man at the college level decided to be a woman and he enters into competitive swimming and now he's dominating the field. Of course he would. He's bigger and he's stronger. Will Thomas, now known as Lila Thomas, was an average swimmer on the men's team, but he crosses over, gets on the women's team, and now he's beating all the women's records in every field. And the college he goes to is in Pennsylvania. It's a woke college, and they are insisting that his teammates cheer him on. You know how humiliating that has to be for those women? To cheer him on and he's there taking their place. And uh, so they're, they're told, I don't know how they'll do next year. I don't know if they'll even be there next year. But he's beaten every woman's record in every field that he swims in. And so the crowd is ruining women's sports. They're ruining it. And if we don't stand up and cry louder, there will be no such thing as women's sports anymore because it'll be dominated by men. And so a woman's going to say, why join the team? I can't compete with that. And so uh, over a period of time, it's going to be all men on the team. So there's no woman's sport in that. And here's the thing that really bothers me, especially at the high school level. These young girls are trying to get into college. They can't afford to go to college. And so they're competing, they're practicing, they're sacrificing, they're exercising uh, in their field to win a scholarship. And here this guy decides he's going to be a woman and he joins the team and he beats them in everything they've been training for and he takes the scholarship. Wow. How's that fair for them? And we're allowing it. I mean, why don't these so-called transgenders start a league of their own? They have a transgender league. I'll tell you why. Because it will level the playing field. And they don't want a level playing field. That's why they crossed over to the women's sports to begin with. They want to dominate. And, and they're even proud of it. We had a weightlifter in the Olympics that was a transgender. And <laughs> almost got beat by a woman. I'll tell you, that would have been hilarious. This, this big burly guy that says he's a woman and, and gets into Olympic weightlifting and a woman beats him, that would have been hilarious. But he beat her, but not by much. He almost did. Now, hey, it goes the other way too. 
You got women that are <coughs> transgenders going into men's sports. I don't have a problem with that. I hope she does well. I hope she, she wins and, and beats the men. But she's competing not on a level field, but the fields above her. But she had enough guts to cross over and try. Amen? It's a lot different than a man crossing over into a woman's sport. Uh, they won't do a transgender league because uh, they'd rather compete against the physically weaker and dominate women's sports. You know, they ought to be ashamed of themselves is all I can say. I can say more, but that's the only thing I can say that would be godly is they ought to be ashamed of themselves. And yet they're proud. They, they stand up and they take the accolades and the cheers and everything, and they should be hiding their face in shame. And I just use women's sports as an example of one of the many things that we should be standing up for and crying out for. You know, uh, we stood up for critical race theory. We're crying out and we're making some progress. But before we just let the crowd push back on us and we shut up and we let them get away with all the things they're getting away with. And, and it's the same thing with uh, so-called vaccine mandates. I'm not anti-vax, you know that, but I'm anti-make me get vaxxed. And uh, they're pushing these mandates, which are totally unconstitutional, totally illegal. If you want to get a shot, get a shot, but don't make me get one. Amen. And, and so we've been speaking up about that and they're losing their grip. There's not going to be any so-called vaccine mandate anymore. I could go on and on about other things, but let's get back to our story about blind Bartimaeus. He cried out until he was heard. And once he was heard, he stood up and ran to Jesus, all excited and full of joy. He couldn't get to Jesus fast enough. That's another good example for the church. We ought to get, to so, we ought to get so excited that we can't wait to get to Jesus. If we can get that excitement and joy back in the church again, this church will be full every Sunday morning. People will be running to get to Jesus. But blind Bartimaeus had to overcome a lot of things to get to Jesus. He had to overcome, first of all, his blindness. Then he had to overcome the crowd. And then every other difficulty he had to get to Jesus, the obstacles that were in his way. But he did it. And, you know, the church today, we let the smallest thing hinder us. We'll stay home from church if it's raining. We'll stay home from church because we sneezed and had a sniffle. We'll stay home from church because we had a headache. We'll stay home from church because we stayed up too late the night before. There, there's all kinds of things that hinder us from getting to Jesus and getting to church. And, and yet Bartimaeus wasn't going to let any of that stuff hinder him. But you know what? Bartimaeus got what he needed. And a lot of us don't. Well, that'd be a sermon for another day. That'd be a good one, too. But anyway, Bartimaeus wouldn't allow anything to keep him from getting to God and getting his needs met. Not the crowd, not his blindness, not the weather, not anything was going to keep him from Jesus. And I like uh, verse 50 again. It said, and he casting away his garment rose and came to Jesus. Why did he cast his garment aside? Now, I looked at the commentators and all of that and 
they, they got a lot of good reasons why he would do that. Uh, they say that your garment identified your, your uh, position in society. You know, if you was royalty, you had a certain kind of garment with certain colors. Uh, and if you were uh, a tax collector, you had a certain kind of garment with identification on it that would identify you as a tax collector. And if you were a poor beggar, you had a garment that identified you as a poor beggar. And so Bartimaeus had a garment that identified him as a poor beggar. And uh, he would lay that garment out every morning, or, or just about every morning, I guess. He laid on the ground like a, a picnic blanket. And then he would sit on it with his legs crossed, and people would come and they would throw coins on the blanket. And that's the way he would collect his alms. But him casting it aside was actually an act of faith. Remember, Jesus said, thy faith has made you whole. Jesus didn't say, my great faith made you whole. Or because I'm the son of God and have these magical powers, I made you whole. No, he said, thy faith made you whole. What faith? All he was doing was crying for Jesus. But it was more than that. And there was faith in that. No doubt about it. But... When he cast his garment aside, he was saying, in essence, I won't need this garment and I will not identify as a poor beggar anymore because when I get to Jesus, I'm going to get my sight back. Amen. And I ain't going back the way I came. I'm not returning to that lifestyle. I don't need that garment anymore. That was an act of faith. And if you're a history buff like Paddywhack, you may know in the year 1519, Hernan Cortez arrived in the New World with 600 men. And upon arrival, he made history by setting fire to all his ships as they were anchored in the, in the harbor. Why? Because he was sending a clear message to his men and his followers that there was no going back. He was sending a message to them, telling them that we either make it in this new world or we die because we're not going back. No ships in the harbor, no plan B. You know, if you have a plan B, you usually wind up going to it when the going gets tough. And, and what he was saying by burning them ships is he's saying, there's no plan B. You either, you're going to make it with plan A or you're going to die, period. And, and, you know, the reason some of us never achieved our dreams or been successful in certain areas of our life is because you always have a ship in the harbor. And you're thinking, and see, this is why blind Bartimaeus throwing that garment aside was an act of faith, because he was saying, I'm burning this ship. I don't have a plan B. I'm going to get healed or that's the end of me. And, and that was his attitude. And that's the attitude that we need to have, because... If you have a ship in the harbor and all of a sudden the going gets rough for you or things start going against you or the crowd starts pushing back, then you're going to return to the ship and go back the way you came and go back to the life you had. So he's saying no plan B, no ship to retreat to. You're either going to make it or you're not. You're either going to be fully committed to this cause or you're going to die. And, uh, because like I said, if, if it gets going too tough, you'll retreat and go back to where you came from. You know how many Christians do that? They, they come into the church, they get born again, 
they're full of joy, they're happy they found the Savior, they're happy with their Christian walk now, and, and then all of a sudden things start getting rough for them, and they say, what's the use? I'm going back. But if you burn that ship, you have nothing to go back to. You stick it out, and you make it work. Amen? Hallelujah. And that's exactly what Bartimaeus was doing when he threw that garment aside. Well, anyway, now he's right where he wants to be. He's standing in front of the throne of grace. And, and the Bible says Jesus answered. Answered what? I didn't hear a question. Well, he answered Bartimaeus' cry. He cried for mercy. Jesus answered. And here's what he said. What wilt thou that I do for thee. In other words, what do you want me to do for you? Man, you talk about a blank check. Tell me that, Jesus. Tell me. Ask me what I want you to do for me. And a lot of people have a hard time with this question. Let me give you an example. You know somebody's going through something. And they need help, whether it's financially, physically, uh, advice, whatever it is, they need help. But when you ask them, if you need anything, let me know. What do they tell you? I rest my case. I'm good. They could be on their last leg. They could be have, have the last can of soup in the cupboard. And they say, no, I'm good. I'll be all right. Pride will keep you from getting what you want. Pride will get, keep you from getting what you need, even from God. Because when you come up with that baloney, now I'm good, he knows you're not. And what does he do? He goes like this. He resists you. Why? Because you're in pride. And he don't give grace to pride. He gives grace to the humble. And so that's how we have to be. When Jesus asks us, what do you want me to do for you? You've been praying, you've been bawling, you've been squalling and crying, and all of a sudden God answers you and says, what do you want me to do for you? I'm good. I don't need anything. And that's exactly what you'll get. Nothing. When you ask God, and you ask with the right motives and the right reasons, then he always responds with, what do you want me to do for you? He might not say it verbally, but that's what he does. And the blind man said unto him, Bartimaeus said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. He knew exactly what he wanted. He didn't have to think about it. He didn't have to rehearse it. He was crying out to Jesus for mercy because he wanted to be able to see. And so when Jesus called him and said, what can I do for you? He says, make me see, give me my sight. And he knew Jesus could do it. Let's look at another example of this cry for mercy. In Luke 17, verse 11, it says, And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Jesus spent a lot of time in Samaria. And as he entered into a certain village, and that's significant, I'll tell you why in a minute. There met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. 
And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. Now what did they ask for? Mercy. And what did Jesus give them? Mercy. He healed them. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. That tells me a Samaritan, a stranger, no covenant rights whatsoever. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, just like he did Bartimaeus, and said, Thy faith, thy faith, your faith, hath made thee whole. He didn't say your faith healed you. He said your faith made you whole. He was already healed. He got healed with the other man. But he says thy faith has made thee whole. And I don't know if you realize the effects of leprosy, but it would cause body parts to literally rot and fall off. You would lose digits, you lose fingers, you lose toes, an ear would drop off, your nose would fall off, half your cheek would be eaten away. This was a terrible disease. It wasn't a very painful disease, not physically anyway, because uh, as it started rotting, the first thing it would rot is your nerves. And you, so you didn't really feel a whole lot of pain, but there was a lot of emotional pain, a lot of mental pain involved with it because you were ostracized. You had to stand afar off. You were quarantined. That's why they were standing far off. They would, could have been stoned if they approached somebody with leprosy. But the Bible says Jesus passed through the midst of Samaria. And the Samaritans and the Jews were some of the most racist people in the world. We think we got racism in the, in the United States or in the world today. We don't have no idea what racism was until we see the type of racism they had. They wouldn't even live, they, had, they lived apart from the Jews. They wouldn't even live in the, in the area. You have racist blacks and racist whites and racist yellow and racist red and Mexicans and Italians. They were racist as they could be, but they live in the same neighborhood, usually. I mean, I know there's cliques out there, they call them ghettos where it's all Italians and uh, we had them in Chicago. It's all uh, Chinese here and it's all Mexicans here or whatever. But for the most part, you could have them living on the same block, but not here. You was a Samaritan, you lived in Samaria. You was a Jew, you lived in Israel or Jerusalem. But they hated each other and they would not have anything to do with each other. And yet you find Jesus mixing with them all the time. Now I just want to say this, if you call yourself a Christian and you have a problem with the color of somebody else's skin or where they came from or how they talk, then you need to repent. Amen. Before God jerks the slack out of thee. But anyway, Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, he made it a point to go right smack through the middle of Samaria. And it wasn't a shortcut. 
And this is where he met the ten lepers. And verse 12 says, As he entered into a certain village, there met with him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. That's almost like Bartimaeus. They didn't call him Son of David, but they called him Master. They recognized him as the Messiah. And they said, Have mercy on us, just like Bartimaeus. But they knew how to get Jesus' attention. They cried for mercy. Amen. And then, let me show you something in Matthew chapter 8. You don't have to turn there. But there was a lone leper, a leper by himself, and he approached Jesus and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, or if it's your will, thou canst make me clean, or you can heal me. If it's your will, you can heal me. And you know, people pray like that today, Lord, if it be thy will. And they just destroy good faithful prayers or prayers full of faith by ending it by saying, if it be thy will. You need to know if it's his will before you ask Amen. him. Amen. And he says, if it be thy will. And Jesus answered him and answered us once and for all, forever, for all time, that I will. He willed for him. He's no respecter of person. He willed for me. He willed for you. He willed for anybody that asks. Amen. He wills. Don't ever ask if it be thy will. He wills. But anyway, this man was in quarantine, so Jesus put his mask on. And because of the six-foot rule, he couldn't quite reach him, so the man left, and he never got healed because Jesus couldn't lay hands on him. No, that's not what it said. Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, touched the leper. It was forbidden to touch a leper. It was forbidden for a leper to touch you because they were in quarantine. They weren't supposed to mix with the crowd. They were ostracized and ostracized from their families. I remember that feeling. I hate it. And it will never happen again. It was Thanksgiving. And Pastor Ed and I were ostracized from our family. And we couldn't have Thanksgiving dinner together. That was the first time ever. First time ever we missed a Thanksgiving dinner with our family. And I won't let it happen again. That's how a leper had to feel. No hug from a loved one. No grandchildren to sit on your lap. No Brothers and sisters can't touch your parents. That's going on in Australia right now. They have them in, I call them concentration camps. But they're wellness camps or whatever they're calling them. But they're ostracized. They might as well be lepers. But Jesus put forth his hand, touched them and said, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus saith unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way. Show thyself to the priest. Don't tell any man. Tell the priest only. Not Dr. Fauci, not the CDC, not the World Health Organization. No man, you go and show yourself to the priest. I thought I'd get one amen out of that. God gave authority to the church to proclaim what is clean and what is unclean, what is moral and what is immoral. 
That's not the government's job. It's not man's job. It's the church's job to determine those things. And we determine it by the word of God, by the Bible that we have. That is our guide. Hey, can I do this or that? Hold on a minute. Let me check it in the guide. Nope. It's unclean. It's immoral. You can't do it. Or, yep, it's right here. God allows it. Have fun. Praise the Lord. pains me to say this, but I got a reason for saying that there's churches out there, as I told you before, that will not minister to the sick or the lost or the hurting because of rules or mandates. Or And I even told you about the church. There's more than one, but the church that uh, won't allow anybody in to worship unless they show their vaccination card or proof of vaccination, whatever it is in that particular place and uh, you have to wear a mask and you have to maintain six feet now don't get me wrong I think we should take caution with any disease whether it's the flu or it's COVID or typhoid or whatever kind of disease it is we need to be cautionary and we need to take uh, uh, preventative measures and maybe it would include staying six feet away uh, maybe it would include not touching anybody but you can't be a church and live by that rule. You have, our job is to welcome the sick and the poor and the hurting and those that are in pain and those that suffer loss. It's our job to bring them into the church and then minister to them. And you can't do that at a six foot distance. Sometimes you have to hug somebody that lost a loved one. Sometimes you have to hug somebody that's going through a, a, a bad part in their life and, and maybe it is that someone's in the hospital and sick and they, uh, they don't have any hope for them and, and they need a hug. Sometimes they need a hug. And I, I, and I don't care if you, know, if you lay hands on them and hug them and, and then go home and strip all your clothes off and take a shower, but you should never refuse to minister to somebody. That's our job is to minister. Take every precaution you possibly can, but you can't neglect to minister to somebody that needs it. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. And I have to warn people, if they're going to a church like that, that doesn't meet your needs or minister to you spiritually, emotionally, even physically at times, that won't allow you in unless you've been vaccinated. And again, I'm not against vaccinations, but you need to run from that church. Amen. If you go to a church like that, you need to run from them because the Lord isn't in it. He's not there. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. They're far off. But it was different with the healing of the ten lepers. He didn't lay hands on them. He didn't pray for them. He just told them, uh, the same as the one leper, to go show yourself to the priest. And the Bible says, and it came to pass that as they went, they were healed. They were cleansed. I don't know how much time passed. I don't know how many steps they took. Uh, before they were healed, but I do know that as they went, they were cleansed. 
And I, I know they weren't cleansed while they were standing there because healing or any other promise of God requires faith. And just like Bartimaeus threw his cloak off as an act of faith, they had to take the first step, still not healed, to show their faith. Because if they would have went to the priest and showed themselves and they weren't healed, they would have got stoned. So it was an act of faith for them. He says, go thy way. And as they went, they were healed. But when he said, go thy way, I'm sure they went like this and said, we ain't healed yet. Go thy way. And as soon as they took a step, maybe two, I don't know, they were cleansed. They were healed. Praise the Lord. Anyway, it took faith for them to go because, like I said, they would have been stoned if they showed up at the priest and they were still lepers. So they had to show their faith. Listen to me. They had to show their faith by obeying the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Jesus is the word that became flesh. So until they obeyed the word, they never got healed. What's the word say? Obey. Verse 15, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. How many know God loves loud churches? And he, the one who returned to glorify God, fell down on his face, worshiping at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. The reason I say worshiping is because that's exactly what falling down, that's the definition of worship, bowing down, falling down, or, or laying prostate. And he did this at Jesus' feet, so I know he was worshiping. And maybe some other translations actually say worshiping, but the King James didn't. And he was worshiping at his feet, giving thanks, and he, again, was a Samaritan. So why did God let us know that he was a Samaritan? Why did God let us know that he was going through the midst of Samaria? Uh, and, and the reason he let us know he's a Samaritan is because the Samaritans had no covenant. They had no right to divine healing. Amen. And so Jesus is demonstrating what mercy actually is. Mercy is something we don't have a right to, something that we don't qualify for, something that we don't deserve. And he did it by making that Samaritan whole. Not just healing them, but made them whole. The man fell down at his feet and worshiped, giving him thanks. And like I said, this is the, this is the ultimate act of worship, bowing down. We had a worship service here Wednesday night, Patty Way. And I talked about Jesus and his meeting with the woman at the well for about five minutes. I didn't spend a whole lot of time on it because we were here to worship. But she was also a Samaritan. That's why I say Jesus spent a lot of time in Samaria, a lot of time with the Samaritans. Why? Because they were the most lost. And he wasn't even supposed to be talking to a Samaritan because the Jews had nothing to do with them. They had nothing to do with the Jews. But she thought she knew something about worship because 
Jesus set her straight by telling her, you don't know nothing about worship. But us Jews do because salvation even came from the Jews. We know what worship is. And uh, he said, God is looking for people to worship him. He said, the hour is coming and now is. That God is seeking people to worship him in spirit and in truth. And that was an ultimate revelation. He said, they that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. And I said Wednesday night, I wasn't exactly sure how to worship in spirit and truth, but I knew it involved bowing. Because I looked up the Greek definition of worship, and it, it said to bow, to kneel before, to prostrate oneself. So that's what the leper was doing. But we're not only to bow on the outside, we should be bowing on the inside first. That's where God's looking. I mean, the outward act is wonderful. You know, I come up here and I kneel at this altar. And that was a physical action. But I was kneeling on the inside before I come up here and kneeled on the outside. And then uh, I think the second part, you know, uh, I mean, I, I, I admitted that I didn't really fully understand what worshiping in spirit and truth meant. I mean, the first part is pretty easy to understand. We worship in spirit because God is a spirit. So I got that. But the thing I had a hard time with is in truth. How do you worship in truth, in spirit and in truth? And uh, I think the second part in truth means that we worship God by walking in the truth. And Jesus said in John 17, 17, He's praying for his disciples before he goes to heaven and before he gets crucified. And he asks God to sanctify them through thy truth. So the word, uh, and then he said, thy word is truth. So the word is sanctifying. The word is cleansing. You know, we're cleansed by the washing of water by the word, which is 1 John 1 and 9. That's how we cleanse ourselves. We get washed uh, by the water of the word. So he said, thy truth or thy word is truth. So he said we have to worship him in spirit and in truth. So if we're walking in the truth, we're obeying the word, walking in the light that we have, that is a form of worship. You know, uh, we worship in spirit because God's a spirit. But as we walk in the word, we learn something in the word and we cast aside the old, the old sin, we repent and we walk in the newness of our new master. And that's a form of worship. So, you know, to worship in spirit is one thing. That's, you know, close your eyes, get on your knees and start worshiping in spirit. That's wonderful. But what happens when you get up? Now, this is just my idea. I'm not, I, I, I can't verify it by scripture, but I'm saying that the other part of that worship in truth is walking in the word, being a doer of the word. As you're walking in the word, you are worshiping in truth. Amen. I'm not making a doctrine out of that. That's just what I felt the Lord showed me. But one guy returns to give glory and thanks to God. And he wasn't even a Jew. Jesus made that clear. He was a Samaritan. And Jesus told him, Arise, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. He didn't say healed. He emphasized whole. 
So the nine were definitely healed, but that was all. And I'm sure they could tell that they were healed. You know, he one guy, he's walking, he looks down, he says, man, I'm cleansed. My skin is white. I'm healed. And he looks and he says, Billy Bob, you're healed, man. The leprosy is gone. And he says, yeah, Festus, hey, yours is gone too. You're clean, man. You're healed. And they walked away. They were satisfied with that. But this man, he was already healed when he came to Jesus. That's why he came to Jesus and praised him. But because he was really worshiping the Lord and giving thanks, because you know the Bible tells us give thanks in everything, right? Amen. And so he's obeying the word. He didn't have that word, but I'm just saying, you know, as an example, he's obeying the word. He's worshiping God. He's praising God. And, and uh, God not only healed him, but made him whole. See, all the other nine, they're walking away. If they were missing fingers, they're still missing. If their nose fell off, he still didn't have a nose. If he's missing an ear, he's still missing an ear. If he had a hole in his cheek, it's healed now, but there's still a hole in his cheek. But this man that he made whole, he was healed and everything grew back that he was missing. If he was missing fingers, he got new fingers. If he's missing an ear, he got a new ear. He was made over brand new. That's what being made whole means. And here's what's bad about just getting healed and not being made whole. You walk away with all the lingering effects, all the residual effects. He had, they had, the nine had all the, the lingering effects, the residual effects of, of uh, leprosy. They had, they, they had the memory of it. They, they remembered the loneliness of it. They remembered the pain it caused. They remembered all the things that happened to them. And so they were forever be reminded by their scars. They had scarring from it. And they'll forever be reminded. So that meant that they were never made whole in their mind. Emotionally. Probably were damaged spiritually. And of course physically. And they would be constantly reminded of that. Even though they were healed. And uh, I got to tell you, my wife and I had COVID, as you know, twice. And the last time was really bad, especially for me, because I got the COVID pneumonia. Uh, it was bad for my wife, too, but she didn't get the pneumonia. And I'm telling you, I went through a lot of stuff, physically, mentally, and emotionally. And I asked God to heal me. And praise the Lord, he did. He healed me and my wife. And I thank God for it every day. I raise my hands in the morning and thank him that I'm healed, you know. But I'm still going through the residual effects of COVID. I still have things in my body that's not working the way they worked before I got COVID. I'd, I'd explain a couple of them to you, but they're personal. But there's things in my body that are not working like they did before COVID. So that tells me I've got residual effects. Something lingers from COVID. And I was healed. There's no doubt about it. I was healed. But here's the thing. Based on this revelation, based on my study for this message, I know now, and I'm doing it right now, I'm asking God to make me whole. Amen. I want everything to work the same way it worked before COVID. Amen. And better. Hallelujah. And and. Uh, if, if I was just healed and I was satisfied with that, which I was, I'm not going to 
lie. I'm not going to try to make myself up to be more spiritual than somebody else. I was satisfied with getting healed. I was grateful for getting healed. I praised God and I thanked him and I worshiped him for healing me. And I settled for the residual effects. I settled for the missing fingers and ears and nose and scarring. And I realized now I shouldn't have. And I won't settle for it anymore. And I know there's people in here right now that had, it might not even been COVID. It might have been a surgery you had 20 years ago, but there's a residual effect from it. There's something that's constantly popping up and reminding you of it, whether it's a pain, a scar tissue, uh, or maybe it was COVID and uh, you, you're like me and uh, even my wife, you know. Uh, one of the things I can tell you is I, my taste. I got my taste back, but it's not the same. I can taste things, but it doesn't taste like it used to. I can smell things, but it smells different than what you're smelling. And, and it's not a big deal. I can live with it, but it's not right. It keeps constantly reminding me that I had COVID. It's constantly taking me back to that bad memory of COVID and the things that I went through and suffered. I want it gone. I want those residual effects gone from you. I don't care what it was. If you have a residual effect from anything, it should leave today. You should ask God to make you whole today. Amen. Don't settle for just being healed. Thank God for healing. I'm grateful I was healed. I'm thankful he healed me, but I should have asked for wholeness. When he asked me, what do you want me to do for you? I said, heal me. Heal me of this COVID. Give me more time. I got things I need to do. I never thought to ask him to make me whole. Wipe it out completely as though I never had COVID before. But we can do that. I just proved it to you in the word here. You believe the word? Yeah. We can do it. We don't have to have the memories, the pain, the hurt, the sorrows, the frustration, the confusion, the after effects, the scarring, the, the, uh, all the lingering effects of whatever it was you had. We don't have to have them. This guy was made whole, completely whole. Hallelujah. He asked Brian Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus told him, I want my eyesight. Maybe he should have said, make me whole. Because I'm sure being a blind beggar all that time, being poor, he was probably malnourished. He probably had the effects of that in his life. You know, maybe uh, arthritis or maybe he should have asked. Maybe he should have said, I want to be made whole. And of course, that would have included his eyesight and everything else that was wrong with him. But Jesus is asking us today, what do you want me to do for you? Instead of saying, heal me, say, make me whole. That includes what you need to be healed from. And it includes being healed from the scars and the emotional scars and everything you have from whatever it was, a surgery or it could be something emotional. Somebody left you or somebody disappointed you. Could be a, a son, a daughter, whatever. But there's, if you keep going back to it, that's a lingering effect. You haven't been made whole of that thing. But we can be made whole. Yes. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father.
We thank you and we praise you. Lord, we know the word is progressive. It's constantly moving forward, moving upward. And we're constantly coming into new revelation. Not that it's new in the Bible. It's always been there, but it was there as a word. It was there as the logos. And now you've made it a rhema for us. You made it a revelated word. And even though it was always there, we never seen it. But we see it now plainly. You not only want us healed, you want us whole. And Lord, if it takes just worshiping you, that's not a hard thing for us to do. We can fall down at your feet just like the uh, leper did and worship you at your feet. If that's what it takes to make us whole, we do it anyway. But Lord, now that we have the revelation of wholeness, healing is never going to be enough for us, Lord. <laughs> We want wholeness now, Lord. We want you to make us whole, every whit whole. And God, you see everyone in this room. You know what they've been through. You know the scars they're carrying, the residual effects of, the, of whatever the trauma was that they had, whether it was a physical sickness, whether it was an emotional thing, whether it was a loss of somebody that they're having a hard time to get over with. Yes, you healed our hearts, Lord, but now make us whole. Make us whole, Lord, so we have nothing to look back on. It's no longer a bad memory for us. We no longer think about the pain and the suffering and the hurt and all the emotional things that was brought along by it. But, God, we're made whole. That means our mind is made whole. Our body is made whole. Uh, we, we, know, we no longer carry the things uh, that, held, that hold us back. We, we no longer think about those things because... We have nothing to remind us of them. So we thank you and praise you that you're a good God that's full of mercy. And we ask you for mercy today. Just like blind Bartimaeus, just like the leper, they ask for mercy and they receive healing and some receive wholeness. So we thank you and we praise you for it. We thank you that the word is true. And we thank you, Father, that you love us enough to do it for us. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. If you prayed that prayer, maybe you didn't feel nothing right now, but you hold on to that. God promised us that. And so we not only cry, but we cry aloud, and we don't let nothing hold us back. We don't let the crowd push us back. We know what we want from God, and we cry aloud until he meets that need. Amen? amen. That's walking in faith. That's your faith assignment. Just walk it out as though it's already happened. Amen? Because it has. God bless you. We love you and appreciate you. See you Wednesday. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.